Thank you. All right, I think I've got all buttons on. My lights are indicating it's a go, so it's time to launch. Uh, Heather and I drove in this morning straight from the east coast of Florida. Not only did we have to have to take into account changing time zones, but changing daylight savings time. So we argued and fought all day yesterday about what time it was that we had to leave in order to get here. So my philosophy is to be a little bit early, so I got up. I don't, I don't even know if the Lord heard me pray this morning when I got up. It was probably so early. Um, and I had to stop at Mariana, literally had to stop and say, baby, I can't get us in. I usually get a shot of adrenaline the closer you get to home, you know. But I tell you about Marianne, I was so sleepy, I pulled over and said, you got to take over or we're not going to make it to Bonifay. Uh, I'd still be over at the rest area sleeping right now. If it, yeah, y'all would come got me, huh? Uh, so anyway, we did. We, we came on in. But man, that was a, 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 an exercise in logistics, trying to figure out what time. It reminded me, I had a missionary friend who ministered over there on some of those islands right next to the International Dateline. And he told me one day he flew in a small aircraft and crossed the international date time and landed back and forth five times on opposite sides of the international date line. So he said it took him about a week to figure out what day it was. Uh, You just never can figure those things out. Strange, strange, strange. All right, here we go. Jonah chapter number one is where we are. Uh, We undertook the book of Jonah last weekend. So we're going to pick up, no, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're not going to pick up. In order to get this, there's only three verses that we looked at last Sunday, so let's just set the scene. Why don't we set the scene and read verse 1 all the way down through the end of chapter 1. Are y'all down for that? All right, here you go. Bible says, beginning in verse 1 of the prophetic book of Jonah, The word of Yahweh came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. That gets funnier every time I read it. (laughs) Just is. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Uh, Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, Come. Let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Uh, Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on Yahweh and said, We earnestly pray, O Yahweh, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us for you. O Yahweh, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared Yahweh greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. And Yahweh appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. 
And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Well, if you'll notice with me in verse number 4 of chapter 1, there's a transition that is made right here in the grammar and in the flow of the story. The Bible says, the Lord. This is, uh, some, and some versions do set it off by saying, but or then. So it kind of shifts from the Lord speaking to Jonah and Jonah giving him a firm answer saying, nope, don't think I'm going to do that today, Lord. Uh, matter of fact, I'm going to get as far away from that assignment as I can. Going to run down to Joppa, as a matter of fact, find me a sailing ship, jump on it, and we're headed to Tarshish to get as far away from this idea as we possibly can. So Jonah put a firm no on the table for that one. I mean, it was solid. No, sir, we're not going to do that one, God. Now, verse 4 on through the remainder of this chapter and into chapter 2 is the Lord's response to a disobedient prophet. So here's my subject for today. What God does when a believer says no. Because that's what Jonah did. He said no. And sometimes we think that we can say no and that's the end of the discussion. I mean, it was a dialogue. God gave us, as we say, an invitation. But you know, an invitation, you can RSVP either yes or no. I mean, that's the way we look at the assignments that come to us from God. And most of the time we think we can just say no and go on our merry way with life as usual and there will be no repercussions, there will be no ramifications, and there will be no consequences to us having boldly and openly said no to God and then trying to live in disobedience. So what does God do when you say and when I say no? I'm not going to do it. Well, this passage of Scripture gives the answer to that question. What does God do when a believer says no? Well, the first thing the Scripture teaches us is that when a believer says no, God sends storms to get our attention. Now listen to me. Not every storm in life is because of disobedience. I mean, sometimes we encounter storms just because we live in a sin-laden, fallen world. Are you with me? We do. But there are other times when we do have storms come into our world because of disobedience, because we said no. So notice what God does. God sends a storm to get Jonah's attention. And you may ask the question, well, why didn't God just speak to Jonah? It's interesting in this story, from the time that Jonah says no... God doesn't say another word to him verbally until after Jonah repents and he speaks to him again after repentance has taken place in chapter 3. So here's the deal. When you say no to the Lord, you become so insensitive to His voice that you probably would not hear Him if He did speak. Or after you have said no one time, If he does speak again, you are probably going to reject what he says the next time. So really what we do is we take the Word of God off the table and now God has to get our attention through another means, i.e. a storm. So here Jonah is. He's in desperate circumstances because he said no. God sent a storm to get his attention. Man, what a pitiful state we are in as believers when God can't communicate us anymore through the normal means of speaking to us through His infallible and inerrant and truthful Word. You know, Jonah wouldn't have paid any attention. So God had to do something drastic to get his attention. And that drastic means was a storm on the sea. Now, let's talk about this storm for a little while and make some references to the storms that come in our life when when we say no. God sends storms to get our attention, but I want you to listen to me. Storms are an indication of God's affection. They are. Hey, God sent the storm Jonah's way because He loved Jonah. And isn't that what Miss Amy just read a little while ago? Every son... Whom the Father loves, He does what? He disciplines him. Listen, this storm is not punishment for Jonah. We have this this idea that if I do something wrong, God's going to get me. 
Well, I've got good news for you. Psalm 103 verse number 10 says, God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does He reward us according to our iniquity. If He did, none of us would stand a chance. You see, if you are a believer, God doesn't deal, God doesn't deal with you according to your sin because Jesus took care of that on Calvary's cross. It's a non-issue. But let me tell you what He does deal with us over. He deals with us over this matter of obedience or disobedience. And when we say no, God is a, as a loving Father loves us too much to let us live in disobedience. Somehow or another we have the concept that what I want for my life is better than what God wants for my life. And from God's perspective, He says, you ain't even close, son. Hey, listen, the future that God has for you is so much better than you could sit and write out and, 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 and be the architect of yourself. That's the plans that God has for His people. Now, Jonah didn't think he was going to find the good life in Nineveh, but God knows that the plans I have for you are better than the plans you have for you, and I love you too much to let you go the opposite way of my will for your life. So this storm is simply... An indication of God's affection. Hear me. If you can live in persistent disobedience to God and there not be storms coming in your life, I doubt very seriously you've ever been born again. Because every son, every child whom the father loves, what does he do? He disciplines. He chastens. He's not going to let you live in disobedience. He's not going to let you live outside of His will. If you won't heed His word, then there's a storm warning coming your way. Uh, it must have been Thursday night. I didn't hardly get any sleep because my phone kept going off with severe thunderstorm warnings from the National Weather Service. And that's the way it will be one after another for a child of God who is living in disobedience and saying no to God. Notice what the Bible teaches us about this storm in general. Storms are an indication of God's affection. God loved him even though his fellowship was compromised. You know what disobedience will do? It'll compromise your fellowship with Almighty God. Again, let me point out, God didn't speak to Jonah again until after he repented. And sometimes folks say to me, Brother Richie, I'm just having a hard time hearing from God. And normally my question is this. Well, what was the last thing that God said to you? And did you say no to it? And if you said no to it, then you go back and get that right, and then you'll probably hear from Him again. You see, God had to speak to Jonah through a storm, and He sent this storm out of His affection for Jonah because their, comp their, their fellowship was compromised. You see, I don't think when Jonah said no and he went up and got down uh, on a ship in Joppa to head to Tarshish to get away from Nineveh, I, 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 I would just be willing to bet he didn't take a scroll of the Old Testament with him so he could continue to do his daily devotions. You know what I mean? He done pulled away. He wasn't listening to God. He didn't want to hear from God. So God had to send a storm. Hey, look, there's a couple ways God can speak to us. We can do this the easy way, or we can do this another way. Can I ask you, are you making yourself available to hear from God? How are you doing on your spiritual disciplines? Are you spending time in the Word where God can speak to you gently in that still, small voice through His Word? If not, maybe you're doing like Jonah, and you're taking the Word off the table. And the only thing God has left to do is to jerk you around as He describes in the Psalms as someone does to a mule by bit and rain or maybe by sending a storm. But the Lord sent this storm not because He was going to get Jonah, because He loved Jonah too much to let Jonah get to where He thought He wanted to get. So notice, He, he, he sent this storm as a sign of God's, God's affection even though His fellowship was compromised. Just because you say no doesn't mean God stops loving you. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Huh? But notice, number next, this storm was a sign of God's affection even though his friends, that is Jonah's friends, were jeopardized. Did you pick that up in that story? Notice what the Bible says in verse number 4. The Bible says in verse number 4 that, that the ship was about to break up. 
I mean, they were in peril. They were in real danger of losing not only the ship, but losing their lives. And did you, then did you notice throughout the rest of this story, notice when, when the sailors found out that this was happening because of Jonah, notice they had more concern for him as lost, salty sailors. They had more concern for Jonah's life, who got them in this predicament, than Jonah had for theirs, for even getting on the ship. Notice what they said down in uh, verse number 14. Do not let us perish on account of this man's life. In other words, they were saying, God, this is, we realize this storm is on us because of your prophet, because he's running from you, and you're trying to get him back into your will. So they were caught between a rock and a hard place. If we stick with him, we're going to go down with the ship. Their other option was to throw Jonah over. So look what they say. They say, we earnestly pray, O Yahweh, don't let us perish on account of this man's life, but don't bring innocent blood on us either when we throw him overboard. And they didn't want to do it. Look, the Bible says they rode desperately to return to land. Even after Jonah told them, they had more concern for him than he had for them. Jonah knowingly and willingly, as a disobedient prophet and child of God, got on that boat, having removed God's Word from the table, leaving only God the option of sending a storm in order to get Jonah back to where he wanted to go. And Jonah got on there with no regard for the lives of his friends. He jeopardized everybody on that ship by his disobedience. And yet we have the gall to say, my sin affects nobody but me. That's one of the biggest lies Satan to tell you. Because your sin has collateral damage. These men and this ship and the cargo, everything around Jonah was collateral damage. Now, it's interesting here that Jonah puts their life in jeopardy without even thinking about it. They're praying to God for another way. They don't want to throw Jonah overboard, but neither do they want the ship to go down. But Jonah put them in jeopardy. Have you ever thought about the collateral damage that's caused by you saying no. It doesn't just stop with you. Sometimes it gets folk around you. It gets a wife. It gets a husband. It gets a son. It gets a daughter. It gets a business partner. It gets friends. Now, hear me. I think the end of the story bears this out. They did suffer a little bit. But don't buy into this old philosophy that says, I don't want to be on an airplane if it's the pilot's turn to go. See what I'm saying? Because God doesn't shoot with a shotgun. He shoots with a rifle. He got his man. His man was Jonah. Now there was a little bit of collateral scaring in the process But nobody else was lost, am I right? I do not believe that God's going to kill you because I've been disobedient. He's a bigger God than that. Now, my association with you may cause some pain in your life. You may have some cloudy days and some rainy days, but ultimately, God's going to deal with me. And that's what He did with Jonah. But Jonah here, willingly and blindly and without thought, put his friends in jeopardy when he said no to God and got on board their ship. Notice, number hey man, listen. I, I'm not through here. Can I preach a little bit? Maybe meddle. Can I meddle some, huh? You know, here's what I learned years ago as a pastor. Man, I wanted to, I wanted to send our folk all over the world, but I hated to let our good folk go. John Wilson has taught me so much about being a sending pastor and a part of a sending church where we send out our best folk. One of our, man, the guy that I had discipled from the moment I got there, poured my life into him. God was using him. He was doing tremendous things. He was rising as a leader in the church. Folk were coming to faith in the community through his witness. And then one day I was preaching and I gave the invitation and that old boy come down and fell on my shoulder And he cried and cried and cried and said, Pastor, God's called me to preach. And I wanted to cry too, saying, no, he hasn't, no, he hasn't. 
you got to stay right here with me. But this old boy had a, had a good job. He was well up into six figures. I didn't want him to go. He didn't want to leave that job. I didn't do anything as his pastor to put a boot in his hiney. To help him. I mean, we should have given him the left foot of fellowship. That's what grace would do, huh? I mean, if, you're, if, if we're a sending church. You give us the indication that you're called to be a missionary, we're going to help you get there. Back then, I wasn't that wise. And I thought, well, you know, we can just help this boy and he can be a, a, an interim pastor here. He can fill in there and, and listen to me. That boy became the Jonah on our ship. My best friend, one of my disciples, became the very reason why that church broke into two factions and split. And today has very little influence. And it all goes back to that moment when God called him and he said no. And his preacher didn't kick him out like he should have. You can end up being the Jonah on board somebody's ship. You can end up being the Jonah on board Grace Church. That's why we want to help you get to where God's called you. Because if God's called you and you stay here, you're going to end up sinking us. Huh? Notice number next. Not only was his friends jeopardized, but his physical strength was minimized. Look at, look at what the Bible says here, what Jonah's doing. I mean, he was in a hurricane. A virtual hurricane Michael had overtaken that sailing ship. And notice what the Bible says in verse number 5. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of, hold of the ship, lain down, and had fallen sound asleep. Can you Have you ever been on a ship in 10 or 12? Not a ship. Well, yeah, I've been on a, I've been on a, on a cruise ship in pretty rough seas. And you've got to get in the center hallway on a, on a boat that's uh, sometimes nearly a thousand feet long. But have you ever been on a smaller one, 35, 40 foot in 10, 12 foot seas? It beats your brains out, huh? won't it? Huh? I mean, it seemed like the last thing you could do is sleep. And look here what was happening. The sailors done got religious, did they not? You know, it's bad when sailors start praying. <laughs> and here these sailors were praying. Look, look what the Bible says. The sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God. But Jonah had gone below into the hole of the ship and fallen down, uh, and had fallen sound asleep. You know, you know why Jonah could sleep in the middle of a storm? Write this down. Because there's nothing more physically exhausting than running from God. It will wear you out. It'll zap your physical strength. It'll take your spiritual strength. It'll take your emotional strength. Everything about you in the process of running from God is going to be drained. And here Jonah was. He was physically depleted. Man, running from God make an old man out of you very quick. It'll make an old woman out of you very quick. Heather and I saw the other day this young lady that we pastored when we were on the east coast of Florida, and get this. When we were over there, this girl was just drop-dead gorgeous. I mean, just, just a picture of... I mean, she could have been a, a model. And somehow or another, she decided that the church way was not her way. And she took a step off in, in the wrong direction, and she began to date one guy after another that was nothing short of a thug and a drug dealer. She herself became hooked on drugs, went through several rehab programs, uh, married and divorced four or five times. And we saw her the other day, and can I just be honest with you? She looked like Olga the Sea Witch. That's what running from God will do to you. It'll just deplete you of every bit of vitality that you have. And the end picture is not pretty at all. It's not. And here Jonah was. He was in the hold of the ship, sleeping in a hurricane in an old sailing, wooden sailing ship. How? Because running from God doesn't zap him. Took all his strength. Notice, the storms are an indication of God's affection. 
But storms are also an indication of God's intention. Why did God send that storm? Because I tell you what, he, he had an intention. And his intention was to use Jonah. Huh? Isn't that good? God's intention, even if you're running away from him, no, his intention is still to use you greatly. So the storm is just the means through which God's going to draw his prophet back to him because God's intentions are going to be fulfilled. Now, I love what the sailors said. The sailors had better theology than the prophet. Notice, notice what they said when they were praying to the Lord. Look at in the last part of verse number 14. O Lord, you have done as you have pleased. Now here's what the theologians say. Theologians say, God always does what He pleases, and what God does always pleases Him. God has never done anything and thought afterwards like I do. Man, I wish we wouldn't have done that. <laughs> Everything God does... He's very pleased with it. Now these sailors are right. He did what pleased him. What pleased him? It pleased him to send a storm to Jonah's world. And after he sent the storm, he was pleased with the results. Because his intention was to use Jonah as the spokesperson for God Almighty in the wicked city of Nineveh to bring that city to repentance. That was his intention. Hey, if, if God... Let's you go when you say no. If he lets you continue on your journey to Tarshish, if he lets you continue to walk away from his best plans for you, then that's an indication, number one, that he don't love you. Because every child whom God loves, he disciplines. Or it may be an indication that God's through with you. No more intentions. Now who wants to live in either one of those conditions? Huh? See what I'm saying? Get off of that ship and get to your Nineveh no matter what it is, no matter how much you dread it. Life's always better there than it is in Tarshish. Check out number next. What does God do when a believer says no? Well, number one, God sends storms to get our attention. Number two, God eliminates all alternative solutions. See, because we'd rather do anything than do what we ought to do, right? And these sailors, primarily, they tried everything other than doing the one thing that God wanted them to do. They tried everything else. Notice first thing they tried was fake religion. Look what they did. Verse number 4 tells us in verse number 5 that they were in a crisis. And what did they do? Well, they got spiritual and they called upon their gods. Every man began to pray. You know anybody that when a storm comes their life, they have this fake religious experience? And they began to show up at church. Ain't been to church in three years. Storm comes in their life. They find their way to church. And boy, they pray and pray and they make vows and say, I've learned my lesson, I'll never leave again. And watch me. As soon as the waves die down, they're gone. And you never see them again. Fake religion was not an option for these guys. They called upon their God, nothing happened. So fake religiosity does nothing. Gets you nowhere. But notice what else they tried. Not only did they try false religion, they were crying out to their false god, but verse number 5 tells us they also tried self-improvement. Look what they did. They threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. What can we do to help us survive this storm? Well, we will take all the cargo on the ship and throw it overboard and that'll help the ship have more buoyancy and we'll be able to weather this storm and we'll be just fine. Self-improvement. You ever known anybody that they get in a bind, storm comes their way, and they make a vow they're going to quit cussing? Huh? Because God got their attention. 
They make a vow, they're going to quit drinking. They're going to quit smoking. They're going to quit dating girls that do those things. They're going to be better. I'm going to be better. Hear me, self-improvement and turning over a new leaf is not the solution. And God took that off the table because after they threw everything overboard that they had, nothing changed. And that's all the way, always the way it is with self-improvement. It doesn't help. Check out number next, another alternative solution. Not only did they try false religion, not only did they try self-improvement, but verse number 13 tells us that they tried self-effort. Check out verse number 13. However, the men rode desperately to return to land, but notice, they could not. Maybe somehow or another we can muster up enough strength on the oars here to work against God and a raging sea, and maybe our self-effort will get us there. Hear me. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of works, lest any should boast. Self-effort's not going to get you anywhere with God. It doesn't. The sea just kept on coming and kept on coming. They probably lost ground, as a matter of fact, while they were desperately rowing to get back to shore. So God eliminated all alternative solutions. False religion's not going to work. Self-improvement's not going to work. And self-effort's not going to work. What does God do when a believer says no? Well, He sends storms to get our attention because His Word, we've become insensitive to it. So He has to send a storm. Number two, He eliminates all alternative solutions that you might have. And boy, we do have some alternative solutions. Grace Group's going to explore some of those this week. And then number three, God exposes us through various avenues. Notice, God's closing in on Jonah the whole time. There's no way that Jonah is going to get away. Well, how does God expose him? Well, number one, sometimes God exposes us through His sovereign control of circumstances. Have you noticed in this story that Jonah's not the hero, but God is? Everything that goes on, God's in control of it. God sent the storm. God sent the wind. God sent the fish. Everything that's going on here obeys God except one, Jonah. God's in complete control of these circumstances. And notice the circumstances here. These men, this was their practice as it was in the ancient world. Let's get out some dice. Just like they do in Biloxi, Mississippi. Let's get us out some dice. And let's roll these dice. Let's cast these lots. And we'll find out who draws a short straw. And whoever they fall upon, that's who it's going to be. Guess what? God sovereignly controlled the lots. So for the sailors, those lots pointed to Jonah. Verse number 7 tells us... Wait a second, my Bible doesn't turn page. Each man said to his mate, said to one another, Come, let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account... This calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and lo and behold, it fell on Jonah. You think that was coincidence or happenstance? No, it's not. God just controlled the dice of those gambling sailors and it fell on Jonah. What's God doing? He's squeezing the walls in on Jonah. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like the walls were getting closer? You ever felt like you... Chess was restricting, and if you didn't do what God wanted you to do, you're just going to suffocate? Check out what He does next. God controls, sovereignly controls circumstances. I, I, I had a friend, a preacher friend one time who, <laughs> man, he, he got in a rough shape, and he said, I know what I'll do. I'll just, I, I, he liked to camp, tent camp. So he just packed up his tent, and he went way out into the woods, and he went camping. He thought he could, like Jonah, get away from the Lord and clear his mind for a little while. And this is what he told me when he got back. He said, Rich, I didn't sleep a wink first night I was there. I said, why not? He said, because them dang frogs. <laughs> I said, what do, you, what do you mean frogs? He said, all night long, them frogs outside my tent kept saying, repent, repent, <laughs> repent. You stop and think about it. That's what frogs sound like, don't they? <laughs> it's 
So anyway, God sovereignly controlled frogs. <laughs> My old buddy collapsed his tent and repented and come on back home. But anyway... God exposes us through various avenues, through His sovereign control of circumstances, but look at number next. Through the searching questions of sinners. You ever want to tell folk, hey, you got too many questions. Stop asking so many questions. <laughs> no, look at the questions, these guys. Look at the rapid fire. Verse number 8. Tell us now. I mean, it was urgent. We need to know right now. On whose account has this calamity struck us? What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? And then verse number 11, what should we do to you? So they had a ton of questions. These sinners were rebuking the prophet. Notice what they said in, uh, in, in verse number 10. How could you do this thing? What thing? Running from the Lord. God called him to Nineveh. He gets on a ship, jeopardizes his friends, trying to get to Tarshish. Isn't it amazing that even these old salty sailor sinners knew that you don't blatantly say no to God? So they said, Jonah, how could you do this thing? Hey, has God ever closed in on you by letting a sinner rebuke you? Have you ever been rebuked by somebody that don't even go to church? You ever been called out by somebody who don't even know the Lord God? It's amazing how oftentimes this happens. Oh, listen, I've had it happen to me. It's stinging, son. It'll sting you. And that's what happened to Jonah. It's amazing to me how so many Baptists don't want to believe that what they're doing is sin when everybody else believes it is. It's amazing that sometimes lost people have more of a conscience than Baptists do. Here's one for you. Try this one out. I've got a lot of buddies that fight for the religious freedom that we have in Christ to drink a beer socially. But you do that down at the pub with a bunch of lost fellas and see if they don't know that that's not something you ought not be doing. Huh? It's amazing to me that lost people think drinking is sin and they'll rebuke you for it. Just uh, lose your cool one day in front of lost people and lay out a couple of expletives, good four-letter words, and see if they don't rebuke you for it. It's amazing. Eh? But yet we think it's all right. No. If lost people don't think it's all right, then it ought not be all right with us. I mean, this is not legalism. It's just Paul says, you know, we've got some integrity here. We've got the integrity of the gospel to maintain. So if it offends someone, then maybe we ought not do it. And man, that's the case here with Jonah. Here he is on a ship with a bunch of sailors who know nothing of Yahweh God, and here they are rebuking the prophet. Saying, man, how could you do this? God closing in on him. Well, now the walls are pretty tight for Jonah. There's nowhere he can go. What does God do when a believer says no? Well, he sends storm to get our attention. He eliminates all alternative solution. He exposes us through various avenues. And then finally, he accepts only one answer. Only one answer. And you know what that answer is? That answer is basically, God, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I repent. I surrender to you. Here's the answer. Surrender. Notice what Jonah did. After God closed in on him by controlling the circumstances through the searching questions of these sinners, then Jonah begins to speak. He said, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven. Jonah, no you don't either, you lying rascal. <laughs> if he feared God, he wouldn't have been out there on that ship, right? right? By now he'd been in Nineveh. But he says, I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And they said to him, what should we do to you? And look, and he speaks again in verse number 12. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and the sea will become calm for you, because I know that on account of me... This great storm has come upon you. 
Here's what surrender is. Surrender means just what Jesus taught in Mark chapter 8. We must die to self. Die to self. And isn't it amazing here Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Now he's in the middle of Hurricane Michael on the Mediterranean Sea. And basically what Jonah was saying is this. I'd rather die than go on living in disobedience to God. I'd rather die than not do what God's told me. I'd rather die than continue living outside of God's will. And can I be honest with you? They ain't a one of us going to repent either and mean it until we get to that same place where we say, God, I'd rather die than stay here like I am, living the way I am. That's what Dane Caldwell did when he called me and said, I've got to do this. I have no other choice. When God calls you to do something, you've got to get to the point where you are absolutely miserable and you don't even want to live anymore unless you do what it is God called you to do. And that's what Jonah did. He came to that place where I'd rather die. Now look, here's the swing he took. When God calls him to Nineveh, he said, No, I'm not going, God. Matter of fact, I'd rather die than go to Nineveh. Now all of a sudden, he's out here in the middle of the sea. God's done put him through the washing machine, through the ringer. And now this is repentance. He says, God... I'd rather die than I had continuing, continue to live in disobedience. So he told those sailors, he said, pick me up. You see, he wasn't, he wasn't brave enough to jump over himself. <laughs> he said, y'all pick me up and throw me overboard. That's the only answer that God accepts. Surrender. I'm dying to self. You see, that's what my friend never could do. He never could die to self because everything he wanted was dependent upon that big six-figure salary. And he knew if he, said, if he said yes to God, all of his dreams were gone. He could never die to self and accept that what God had for him was better than what he wanted for himself. And I'm not sure if that old boy's not going to go to his grave miserable, being spanked by God every day because he's never arrived at that place. Number next, God accepts only one answer, surrender. We must die to self. Now check out what it is that these sailors saw in this. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, He said, An adulterous, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. But there will be no sign given you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now look, when He said that, man, there is a ton of theology packed into what Jesus said. What he was saying is, you want to know who I am? You want to know what I'm going to do? Just look at the prophet Jonah. Oh, and by the way, a greater than Jonah is here. That's why he said the men of Nineveh are going to rise up one day in judgment against this generation because we've seen a better than Jonah. But look, Jonah did give us a pretty good prefigurement of what Christ was going to do because here's the answer. Then the sailors understood substitution. Substitution. Jonah died for them. From their perspective, all they knew is they threw him overboard and that was the end of him. He died. And somehow or another, when they threw him overboard, it appeased the wrath of God and the storms became calm. And friends, I'm telling you, that's what happened on Calvary's cross. You and I were enemies of God. We were destined to experience the wrath of God throughout all eternity. But when Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross as a ransom for many, He said, Father, it's finished. And thanks be unto God, He is my sin substitute. And now I don't face judgment because... He was my substitute. He died in my place. He calmed the sea of God's wrath for me and for you. And those sailors saw that. And man, isn't it amazing that all of a sudden these sailors began to address God in the covenant name of God, Yahweh. It has to be that Jonah at least gave them enough witness before they threw him overboard of who God was. And now they begin to address Him as Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. 
And they made sacrifices not to be saved. They made sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving because God had spared them because of the substitution that Jonah had provided for them. My goodness. I tell you there will be no sign given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. That's what Jesus said. Sailors understood substitution. And friend, it's then, listen to me, it's then after we come to that place where we've surrendered, we've died to self. God, I'd rather die than continue to live the direction I'm going away from where you want me to be. Then the sailors understood substitution, substitutionary atonement, that Jonah died in their place. And then finally, it's only then, it's only then that a supernatural journey starts. Oh, listen, you think it wasn't supernatural? It was very supernatural. As a matter of fact, Jonah didn't think it was the beginning of a journey. Jonah probably thought it was the ending of a journey. And isn't that the way it is with us? When we take a step of faith and begin to do what God wants us to do, we see an end, God sees a beginning. Look, why did Jonah think it was... Because here's how how this journey begins. And Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. This is the beginning, God? (laughs) Lord, what's it going to look like on step number two if this is the beginning? No, that's the beginning because God supernaturally saved Jonah's life by him being eaten by fish. (laughs) Hey, this is what I know. God's got your Nineveh out there. I know He does because He has intentions for every person He saves. God's got your Nineveh. We can either listen and obey or we can say no and run and God will eat you with a fish. But you're going to get to Nineveh one way or another. See, Jonah got to Nineveh and I bet when he walked into Nineveh, every cat in that city was following because he smelled like, smelled like nine lives. Yeah, <laughs> smelled like fish. <laughs> so you can either roll in there in style Or you can either roll in there like the Pied Piper with a bunch of cats chasing in behind you. But we're going to get to our Nineveh one way or another. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. I pray, God, for those of us who are here today that are arriving at the place that Jonah did when you closed the walls in on him. And God, I pray that we get to the place where we say, Lord, I, I had rather die than live one more day in disobedience to your word. So I pray this day, God, that you have closed in on somebody and today's the day they come home, they repent, they surrender, they die to self, and they see a brand new supernatural journey start right here and right now. If you're here today and God's spoken to you, you've never been born again. God's kind of closed in on you. And today you've heard that still small voice say, this is the day of salvation. Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. For today is the day of salvation. Then I urge you to step out in faith today and come and pray with Dr. John Wilson or Colin Dollar or myself at the invitation time. If you're here today and God's calling you to a Nineveh and you just need somebody to share that with and someone help hold you accountable then I urge you to make that decision today known to someone. If you're here today and Grace Church is the place where you want to be, you want to sail with us, then come today and make that known. But whatever God said to you, in Jesus' name, step out in faith as Evan leads us. Father, thank you for this moment. May we be obedient and may this room today be filled with yeses rather than noes. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into the night 
Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadow of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame the cross has spoken i am forgiven the king of kings calls me his own beautiful savior i'm yours forever Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ. My living hope. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion. Declare the grave has no claim on me. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me Jesus yours is the victory yeah hallelujah praise the one who set me free hallelujah death has lost its grip on me you have broken every chain there's salvation in your name jesus christ my living hope hallelujah praise the one who set me free hallelujah Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. God, you are my living hope.
Grace Church, before we're uh, dismissed this morning, uh, we want to continue to present uh, our new members to you. We're going to do one a week. We've got several more to do over the next probably four or five weeks. Uh, we paused last week for the, for the ordination for John Seth. Uh, this morning, I want, I want you guys to get to know a, a young lady, a Baptist college student named India Hagler. Uh, Miss India has a heart for, if you'll meet her, she wanted act- actually serving Grace Kids every Sunday if she had her way. Uh, we're not going to let her do that, but uh, she's got a heart for, for, for kids. I, that's that's uh, my immediate re- you know, reaction from getting to know her. Um, the way it works, um, we, we sit down, me and Mr. Cliff, over uh, lunch. It, several, several hours goes into this where we get to know people that want to join Grace Church and hear their testimony, um, whether they've been baptized. Uh, and um, So I'm going to ask Miss India to come up here, and I want you to hear from her for just a second before you affirm her into the membership. So Miss India, Miss India, come on up. Miss India, can you uh, uh, share with Grace Church what you feel the Lord sent you to Baptist College of Florida to prepare you to do when you graduate? What is it you think he's got uh, in the future for you? Okay. Hi, um, so I've been called to missions overseas. Um, I want to work with in children's ministry and talking to Muslims and Catholics. Um, yeah, that's a hard group, but you know, the Lord will prepare me to do his work. And yeah, I just love kids. So, so yeah. And I, uh, she asked me when, the, you know, after our, our new members class, she asked me, can you help us, help me get to the mission field? And so I, as the church, I want you to kind of help the leadership here as we equip her to give her the left, left foot of fellowship. Um, as soon as, you know, I, 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 we like to say, that as soon as you become a member here, it's our job to, to kick you out as soon as possible. Because, why? We want the kingdom of God to expand. Uh, if we can decrease so that he can increase, you can sign us up. Uh, and so that's, that's what, what is on India's heart. So that's our goal. We're going to try to equip her uh, to w- what she believes God's calling her to do. Um, and then lastly, India, what, why do you want to join Grace Church? What drew you to Grace all right, so um, back home, my, my dad's in the military, so we moved around a lot, and my pa- siblings li- uh, live in Panama City, Florida, and my home church um, for, like, the Bible studies for, like, young adults and, like, um, high schools, I was constantly, like, answering every single question, and I did not like that. I want to be challenged more. So coming to Grace Groups, it led me to be challenged more, and I can learn more, and I just love that because, you know, I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. No, thank you. I want to learn more. I've always been told if you're the smartest person in the room, you need to find a new room. (laughs) Um, But, you know, me and Mr. Cliff, we getting to hear her testimony uh, what we believe that uh, God's calling her to do. Uh, we, we wanted to bring her here before you guys this morning um, so that uh, you could affirm her into the membership. Um, as far as we can tell, after, after sitting and, and getting to know her, her life is consistent with the life of a, a believer in the New Testament. And so uh, I guess how we do it here, we just uh, put it up to an amen. If you are in favor of having India Hagler join here at Grace Church, can you just join with us by saying amen? amen? And we want you, before you leave, I want you to come up here, because the reason why we're doing this is we don't want these new members to slip through the cracks. Come up here, introduce yourself if you don't know India yet, um, welcome her here to Grace Church, and Grace Church this week, hey, where can we say yes to God? Grace Church, you are sent.